Put down your paintbrush. It's time for Hobby Support Group. Morning, Andy. Morning, Tom. What's happening, my friend? I'm not bad, thank you. How's your good self today? Oh, I am very well, thank you. Looking forward to a, a hopefully a fantastic episode. Yeah, well, we've got an action-packed show today. We've got most of the normal favourites, you know, mm. hobby progress, purchases, news, the gallery. Then we have a fantastic interview with Mr. War of the Roses himself, Seventh Son Martin. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Looking forward to hearing that again. So, shall we jump into hobby progress? We should. Hobby progress. What have you achieved in the last couple of weeks, Andy, hobby-wise? Well, it's very exciting. I finished off some horses. So I did paint the horses and I painted the riders. They're on there, the bases of flocks. So I've got those nine Polish lancers uh, all finished off now. And I have put some tiny flags on some covenanters. Um, so all the pikes are set up and uh, I put those flags on there and they look really good because I'm having a, a game this Wednesday with my friend Dan. He's never played pike and shot. So um, rather than try and split up my big 28 mil uh, force, I've uh, gone smaller and I'm going to get the 10 mil stuff and I've got enough for a small small game where I can split it into two and I think it'll be a, a reasonable size. Well, it's just a learning game, so it should be good. Well, they look really nice. You know the, the photographs you posted of them. Oh, thanks very much. I think flags flags make a make a difference on the smaller scale stuff more than I thought it would. I, I think they make a, a a huge scale difference. I know when I've put the the little flags on my six mil Napoleonic stuff, while fiddly, they really did sort of like bring the bases alive and actually make them look quite a bit more dandy. Mm, I think so, and it helps differentiate them a little bit as well. It's like. I've used um, some red flags and some blue flags. And so one side will be red and one side will be blue. So uh, although you should know which one's which by which way they're facing, I guess. <laughs> if they're marching away from you, they're probably your guys. Um, I'm interested to see how it sort of goes. I know you've been playing a little bit of bike and shot in 10 mil. And I'm sort of yeah. interested to know how it goes. Because I, I might well add a 10 mil sort of pike and shot army to my overall list for next year yes yeah, so, um i used lancer miniatures and they're they're really good I, i've been really happy with them. they're quite they're quite cost effective and i have to be honest i have been eyeing up a royalist a royalist force for uh in 10 mil but at the moment i'm just gonna maybe next year first bit of hobby progress for me was i finished off the final thing to do with the force from jaeger uh, the Yay. after varnishing them i decided that because they're in trays and i'm going to be moving soon i wanted to magnetize them to give them that uh -huh. extra little bit of safety so i'd already got some magnetic sheet and 25 mil round little magnets lying around so mm -hmm. i glued those on and magnetized them all and there if i was to sort of do it again i would pick sort of stronger magnets but they yeah. were the magnets that i had and they're better than nothing and I, I think in future i'll have to think but to be honest i, I looked into and, and stronger magnets for an army that size would possibly be cost prohibitive um yeah because they aren't cheap no no uh, but then yeah i'd spent ages painting them up so maybe yeah, not be such a cheapo <laughs> actually try look after my army better 
then after I'd finished uh, that, which I sort of took me a couple of days, I painted up all the crawl boys, which I intend to use for Rain in Hell. Mm-hmm. And they will be some pictures, probably by the time this episode's live, they will be on the Hobby Support Group Facebook page. And I'm reasonably pleased in how they came out. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to do a paint scheme on them, and I wanted to do like a style of painting that didn't make them look like these are just some orcs and goblins I've picked up off my shelf and I'm yeah. playing demons with. So I painted them with a lot of washes and different colours and I sort of played around with them and I wanted to sort of go with the idea that they are sort of like dead demon they're like dead like sort of things in the like a, a sort of like frozen cold hell. So there's like lots of blues mm. and pallid colours. And because the bigger orcs or cruel boys themselves like covered in like stitched together cloaks I made all the cloaks and things look like they're stitched out of different flesh tones. So they're sort of suitably spooky looking, I think. Mm, and then I, I based them up on uh, like a mud and snow base. And then I like covered, I gave like the minis themselves a like very fine dusting in snow. So they sort of look like they are in a, like a frozen environment. Right. And then my final bit of hobby news was I started building some more minis. And I started building uh, my... Warlord Games Romans, which I intend to use mostly for Kings of War. Yeah. And so it, it's the first time I've actually built those Warlord Romans. And some of them are, I had some basic legionnaires, some veterans, and some Praetorians. Yeah. And they're not bad, they're not brilliant. The Praetorian Guard Kit, my big bugbear for that is, is if you're a finicky modeler, you have 10 torsos on the sprue, on each sprue. Four of the torsos have got, like, the gladius drawn from the scabbard. Mm-hmm. But you only have two glad- arms with gladiuses. Yeah. Everyone else has to have peeler, and it's a bit... I quite like some more swords rather than yeah. just everyone throwing the peelers and yeah. so i've had to sort of get creative and like working out how do i have a front rank all with swords uh, but i've sort of managed to just um but they are i would say if you, if you want cheap romans they're perfectly fine in fact yeah. you know they're, they're, there's nice detail on them and you know i've got hundreds of i've got like over a hundred like bodies for 30 i think they're about 50 quid yeah like if, if like are priced in every all the different sets and then you know when you, you pick them up as spruce like you have to get them for you know pence each yeah. so you know i will be talking about painting them up soon okay hobby purchases so, for those playing along at home, who who has spent most this week, me or Andy? Oh. I'll go first this week. Yes, I spent thirteen pounds eighty five on the Kings of War Third Edition Games Edition rulebook. Oh, and I figured if I'm building up these Romans to play Kings of War with, I'd actually better have a copy of the rules to play with. <laughs> Make sure it's the current edition, Tom. <laughs> 
it is the third edition. It is the current edition. Because I certainly know that neither of us would buy the previous edition in the sales because they got confused and was like, that's a fantastic price. And then realized not only did they already own that edition in the in the softback, uh, but also wasn't the current one. I certainly didn't do that like last year. I was actually really surprised in that when I went to buy the rule, I thought, right, I need to buy the rule book. Mm-hmm. And like the, the hardback rule book is like 30 odd quid. Yeah. And yet you could pick the starter set up with a softback rule book in for like 50 pounds. Yeah. And I was like, am I going to end up going down the like unfortunate route of getting the starter set with a load of minis I don't really need? Mm-hmm. And then I found someone was selling the softback game book, edition book. I was like, that'll do. Yeah. I've got the hardback one, and that is a weighty tome. I always think for carrying around and going out to make war in, in the real world, actually the, the, the softback books are somewhat like that, the tiny um, bolt action rule book. I don't have the hardback one. I have the small one. I got rid of my hardback I, one. I because... sold my hardback one. I, I think that is one of the, the best things that I think Warlord especially do with their games is when they just, because the Black Powder one's the same, mm-hmm. just take the rule book take the a4 hardback rule book shrink it down to a5 softback it's so much better yeah i think it's nice on the shelf in hardback but if you've got to shove it in a bag and carry it around it's like as as heavy as the army you're carrying it's like yeah it's but too much. When, it, when it's especially when it's like a gaming aid like mm-hmm. you don't have your dice and your tape measures on the shelf really to look at do you it's I'm sure there are some of you at home who do have particularly nice dice that you have on the shelf to look at, and that's fine. But not us. Uh, yeah, so that's that's my purchases for this fortnight. Just the Kings of War rule book. Um, I, on the other hand, have spent £28. <laughs> so close. I thought maybe this, this time you would have beaten me, Tom. I went to GMB and bought a load of English Civil War flags in 28 mil. So I needed some um, pennons for my um, lancers. And I thought, while I'm here and I'm paying the postage, I might as well get all the flags I need for my 28 mil English Civil War Army and their flags. So you stick them on. You haven't got to paint them. Just great. That'd be a nice, easy hobby win. I'm still waiting. I ordered them a week ago. They haven't turned up yet. So I'm, I'm breaking the rules. Normally I say it. So I could say I got nothing, Tom. I haven't put anything this time. Because uh, I haven't arrived yet, as you, is the rules. But I think this time I just say that I did spend the money, and it's uh, they're on their way. I think flags is one of those things. It's sort of like when you put an order of flags in, it just makes sense to sort of buy any flags that you sort of need. Yeah. In the medium term, doesn't it? Because there's, there's nothing worse than paying like a load of postage two or three times for flags. Yeah, I I, I did think about getting the Portuguese flags I'm going to need for next year, but I went. No, it's too. That's too much. So I will. I will wait to buy those. Right. So that's, that's it. That's it. Purchases for this month, then. Yeah. Well, this fortnight. Yeah. So it seems like we're we're, we're doing well, and sort of keeping to the budgets. Oh, even though we haven't set any official budgets, it seems we're sort of. <laughs> well, I'm not homeless yet, and my wife hasn't left me, so I guess I'm doing all right for budgeting so far. That might be the first sign. <laughs> I I do know like. Without breaking the spreadsheet, I, I do know I have noticed I have been buying uh, like substantially less number of models and minis mm-hmm. this year. Yeah. And like most of what I've been buying is actually rules. 
to use the minis that I've already got. Yeah. Which is like a, a win-win, really. You know, it's probably like the, the win-win would be just playing games with the rules and the minis I've already got. But if you're just buying rules for things you've already got painted or you are painting. Yeah, it's like buying things like flags for armies and, and paints to paint the army or undercoat or bases. It's like I want to get the projects finished that I've got already. I mean, I'm, you know, I was excited about them when I got them. Let's get those finished off. I've got and I've got stuff for next year. I've, I've got plenty to do now. Like that Portuguese um, army could be an oval list all by itself. I've got enough different bits to it. You know, six boxes of infantry, two boxes of cavalry. You know, I, I think that like the comment you just made there about like using the bases of things you've got is is a, a good like comment really because I know like I'm uh, building these Romans at the minute. We, we just talked about hobby progress and like I wasn't quite sure what basing to use them on because you know mm-hmm. kings of war you can use like the multi bases or you can use like 20 mil footage or 25 mil footage and i was like yeah. looking through my basing like box and the rest i've got like a absolute stack load of plastic 40 mil square bases oh perfect so i was like there is no point in me buying bases or multi bases or anything i'm just going to put them on these yeah. and they'll do i don't know what your abyssal dwarves are on but we will work it out. I think they're on um, square 40 mil, maybe, I think. I oh, think no. I tried to... I, I definitely multi-based them. I did multi-base them. I think they came on singles, and I glued them together because I found moving them so much easier. But after playing a bit of English Civil War of every multi-based, that one game we had, I was like... Why have I not been doing this in rank and flank games in the past? This is just so much easier. Well, I think like a lot of rank and flank games that can't carry over from the like Warmaster rule system. It's when you like you have three elements per unit, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And you, you lose an element at a time. Yeah, I think that's why most of us, I think, are still into that sort of. I think it, it might be like a hangover, like whenever you're playing any fantasy game, you always put a champion, a musician, and a flag bearer. Yeah in every unit it's just one of those things that we sort of carry over but i mean one of the things that i'm going back to that kings of war rule book you bought one of the things i love about kings of war is it's it's one giant base yeah you move it around it's there or it's not there it's zero sum you know it's either, it either exists or it doesn't exist in the game and there's no taking up individual models so it it's just um i find a lot easier to move those units around well it's it's what i like it's why i chose to use these romans for kings of war because like right i've got 30 veterans mm-hmm. okay i can just make those up into like one legion sized unit that should be 40 dudes but i can put them on a 40 dude size base and yeah thin them out they're veterans yeah. they work thinner at the back but thicker at the front yeah no oh there's a tree that they're fighting around okay that's taking up a bit of space <laughs> it's a wizard or a plow <laughs> i don't know yeah I guess it's it's the Portland chickens. Hobby news. Mixture of hobby news this week, really. We'll start off with Warlord news, probably. Oh, yes. There's the new bolt action FAQ, and it's... And there's nothing controversial, I'm sure, Tom. Nothing in there, all all as expected. No silly kind of gamey stuff going on, yeah? Um, with, Without bogging listers down in uh, rules is this a bolt action episode again no there's just one niggly thing in there that i don't like about it 
is that they've taken away the like the tax for play taking a heavy howitzer it always used to be in the game if you took a heavy howitzer you had to take a tow to be able yeah. to bring it on the table if yeah. you had to set up and mm -hmm. they introduced a unit called the horse-drawn limber which any nation could take for like 15 points and it was an order dice and like yeah. that was the tax that you paid for taking heavy howitzer yeah they've now got rid of that that tax and just introduced if you take a heavy howitzer and the mission you're playing doesn't allow you to set up things on the board you can uh on your first turn you can move a heavy howitzer six inches onto the board yeah which just means like yeah not it doesn't automatically mean a heavy howitzer is suddenly brilliant because they are point they are quite expensive in points mm -hmm. but it does mean they are potentially a lot better and that they've taken out their one big Achilles heel because yeah. I don't know about you in the game of bolt action, the games of bolt action you've played, Andy, but once I've set up a howitzer, I generally don't move it very often. Never, never. That I, if I would just fire it again. If I was like, unless there's literally nothing I can see, which, you know, but, doesn't really happen very often i mean uh, for me this is just this is silliness this is just it i mean that this is it's the penalty for taking a heavy howitzer is you know you have to go oh gosh a lot of missions you come onto the board so you have that toe that's the penalty for taking it and the risk you can go oh, i won't take a toe then what if i get that mission it's um it's like just kind of wish listing it's like oh well you know well my guys don't hit on twos, so I'll just make it so they are. You know, where do you where do you stop? This rule annoys me. Let's just change it. It's like, yeah, what's that about? like the, the only reason why I can see it possibly being made there is as I think there's like a concerted effort at the moment to try and get new people into tournaments. Yeah, you might be having new people coming into tournaments, playing some of the missions for the first time, and being found out. And and mm -hmm. like finding and like being told actually, you can't put that 150 point unit on the table because you've not got a toe for it. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I think then that's the, like the TO's point to like make things clear in mission packs. Yeah. And if you're actually attending an on tournament, to yeah. make sure you've got an army. But anyway, that's that's the bolt action FAQ. There's a few other bits and pieces in there, but we're not going to go into. Look, this isn't that kind of show. I'd say if if you want a, a a breakdown on the new FAQ and like the minutiae of the new rule changes, I'm sure Snafu will be bringing out an episode yes. to chat about it. At if some point. you want a real bolt action podcast, go and listen to Snafu. That's my advice. Yeah, great. Uh, other warlord news: they have the new British and sort of Allied commandos. Yeah, which look a really nice. Oh yeah, man! Plastic kit. Yeah, I'd love some of those. And the October supply box is if you're if you're interested of dipping your toe into playing bolt action or you just want to jump straight in is for Soviets like Red yep. Army stuff. No, I and, was really I was really tempted, Tom, by this one. Well, as I I did the Judge Dread one, uh, thing for August, and I was really quite happy with what I got because mm -hmm. I got the full rule book with all the army lists and the missions in i got a full gang of street judges mm -hmm. and then i got 
two boxes that make a mute like a, a full campaign's worth of mutant gangers on the vehicles and skyboards and stuff and then they also got another blister pack of like three other random gangers from a different gang so like i don't really need those but i got two gangs that like will allow me to play a full campaign yeah that's good and and the full rule book and like i priced it up at like the if i'd have just bought the two gangs the rule book on their own they'd have been about 80 quid yeah so like i sort of saved money on those what i needed and then the extra blister was just like you know an incidental thing i could probably use in stargrave yeah so i mean i don't know i've not worked out what the other values there's been some others before like it was the conflict 47 valshan jaeger and that was the the american one as well wasn't there um well like off the top of my head you normally get like a box of troops yeah a vehicle mm-hmm. a campaign book yeah and a blister so you've got like 25 pounds at least for the troops 20 pounds for the vehicle that's 45 15 to 20 for the campaign book mm-hmm. so we'll say 60 and then the blister maybe an extra 15 to 20 quid yeah. Like sort of like eighty quid. Yeah. And it's I think they're doing a good job of picking things which are useful. Yeah. So it's not like you're getting like you know, I, I doubt very much you would get like a box of like Soviet infantry, then like a really pathetic tank, and then some random oh, his an MMG. Yeah. <laughs> I think like I think like the blisters are doing like the support packs. Which is like, you know, the MMG, the mortar, and the like sniper or the spotters and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. I, I would like again because the the mystery boxes you're never really sure. But if I had nothing at all based on the Eastern Front and I, I, I was interested in the Eastern Front, I would definitely get it. Yeah, I mean it's an army I don't have and I am interested in. I know it's maybe not the uh most historically accurate movie, but I did love it. Um, Enemy at the Gate, such a such a, a fun, a fun but less historical movie to watch. Um, and I, I was tempted, but then I was like, I've got so many other projects. I'm not sure I need a mass infantry World War Two Soviet army. That may be not what I need now when I've got so many other projects to do. Well, as you you like painting tanks, so I think like I would say like soviets in bolt action especially don't have to be a horde army yeah you you can you can very much play a small elite army or even like a small regular infantry army and then have lots of toys yeah Um, i mean i've got like seven eight armies for bolt action as well so i should just be i just i'm gonna be strong tom good gonna be strong then uh, couple of other quick little bits of news war games atlantic have released some sort of like 3d renders of some trolls that they're going to be bringing out oh they look lovely don't they they look really nice they're, they're less they're more like lord of the rings trolls yes they, they they are they look really useful for a lot of games yeah uh, stargrave has its expansion quarantine coming out and nick over at north star has got a range of like zombie spacemen 
coming out. So if, if you want sort of astronauts as zombies, you know, have a look at those. They're quite cool. And there's also running at the moment a like post Nickstarter thing for Stargrave where you can pick up all the metal minis that have been released for it so far at quite a decent price point. And then you have a couple of bits of hobby news, don't you, Andy? Oh, yeah. So Henry Hyde, um, one of Henry Hyde is, is a, a, a force to be reckoned with in the world of hobbying. Go and investigate him. He has his a pre-order for War Gaming Campaigns, which is a huge book where he gives all his advice on running campaigns in miniature war gaming. So have a look at that, see if that um, appeals to you. But for me, the big news is Keyforge. Mars are back. Well, they'll be back in a bit. Have you heard this news, Tom? I, I've heard both like the good news and the bad news of, of Keyforge at the moment. Sure. We start with the bad news, shall we? They lost the algorithm. Da da da. So um or it's broken or I even suspect maybe this one to rejig it. It doesn't wouldn't surprise me if that's a good there's an opportunity for them to to, to tune it. So um the way Keyforge works is the decks are generated by an algorithm and it generates these random decks, random pictures, random names. Each one is playable, but each one is a unique, a unique set of cards. And the algorithm they use to, to generate these cards is broken. So they're having to remake the algorithm. So they're working on that and that's going to be fixed hopefully shortly. But while that's going on, they also have a new set ready to come out. It's called uh, the Winds of Exchange. Do 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 and down to Gorky Park. Um, Scorpions fans, you're welcome. Um, Winds of Exchange is going to be a whole new house we've not seen before that presumably does trading, but um, this Logos and um, Untamed are out, and all the other houses are in. So we've got Mars and Brobna and everyone, Saurians, Sanctum, they're all back. Um, but not yet. That's coming soon um, with the new algorithm. So I'll be I'll be definitely picking up a few of those. But Keyforge is back, baby. It's back. To be honest, I, I'm not really that worried about the broken algorithm. Yeah. Because as I, I've played in the past, like a few online card games, mm-hmm. as they grow and the sets for them become bigger, their algorithms always break. Yeah, and it always gets to a point where they always say, "Oh, like we can only like when we originally made the algorithm, we were like expecting like you know a thousand cards in the set, and like yeah. now we've got like two thousand. We're finding it's like it's starting to break down, or mm. whoever made the original algorithm has now like left the team, and no one else has got any clue on how to do it. So we've we've had we're having to like rewrite the algorithm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not something I'm really sort of. I'm not Hopefully computer worried. savvy enough to know exactly how difficult it is to write an algorithm, to be honest, for just choosing random cards. But I imagine it it, it can't be that difficult, can it? Uh, I think it can cost millions of dollars. Really? And, and take quite a long time. I, I know um, it depends. I know when they redid the Hearthstone algorithm, Mm-hmm. It took like that's Blizzard Activision, and it took mm-hmm. them months and months to redo it to the point because they they had to redo their algorithm. 
I believe it was so that it could comprehend people having more decks to choose from. Because I mm -hmm. think when they originally did it, you could have like nine deck slots and then they, they put it up to 60. They wanted to put it up to 16 and it just completely broke it. So they had wow. to like, and also it got so that it couldn't, they had to make alter it so they could keep adding cards to it. And it, it sort of, it took them months and months. Mm -hmm. um, so I wouldn't think, I wouldn't imagine it's going to be something that's done in like a couple of weeks. Yeah. Or costs like £2.50. Yeah, but no, no. I, I should imagine it's something that will be, especially as I've got this new set ready to go, I think it, it will be done sooner rather than later, especially as like at the minute they can't even print any of the old sets. Well, you know what? Um, at the moment, as we know, moving stuff around, getting stuff printed on cardboard, it's expensive. Getting things shipped is expensive. So, you know, I'm not saying it's, a, it's good that your algorithm is broken. I'm just saying if it was going to break, it's handy. It's, a, it's at a time when stuff's really expensive to get made. And maybe, you know, it's fine that we wait and get, a you know, this new set in the near future when perhaps it will cost everyone a bit less to produce and that cost isn't passed on to us. Yeah, and I think it, it said, uh, I read somewhere in one of the press releases that when it, it's fixed, they're sort of going to basically like relaunch it. Yeah. And I, I think that would do like the, the game, the world of good, because I think yep. it did sort of get a bit lost in lockdown. Oh, it was so unfortunate. Like it came out and it was great and it was really popular. And then lockdown happened and it kind of just killed it. And the, the sets they had planned came out because they were planned to come out. But it's just that community, you know, any game is based upon a community. If people aren't playing it, then they're not yeah. playing it. And also, and they're saying also that it's going to make it a lot easier. They are planning to have an online version so you can play online. And having this new algorithm, they're going to make it so it can be integrated directly into that game. So that's fantastic as well. It's actually kind of good news. I think that, I think being able to play online with the decks that you've got would be really quite cool. Mm -hmm. There know, is a fan-made one, isn't there? Right now, there there is. Uh, <clears> I will admit, I haven't tried it. Neither have I. But I, I do like the idea of you know you buy a booster. Well, no, you buy a deck. You just type in the code, and then it's on your account. Can I complain about how tiny the writing is on those codes, by the way? No, it's it's horrendous. <laughs> I'm like, you've typed it in wrong. I know, because I can't read it. Yeah. Da, 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 da. The gallery. Lovely. Oh. I can't believe we're standing here in the gallery, Tom. I think we've sort of been, we're a little bit spoiled for choice this month, really, with sort of with what people have sort of posted up and the quality of some of the paint jobs. But I really sort of want to give a big props up to Benjamin and his Star Wars Legion. Like, oh my gosh, those guys look good, don't they? Oh, they they are. I think for like all black minis to have such like a difference in. You know, you've got the cloth, you've got the leather, you've got the plastic, you've got the the metals, but all in the same colour. I think it's it's just fantastic, Amazing, isn't it? Really yeah. shows what you can do when painting minis if you're a good painter. Then, I like I like our other Benjamin. There's more Benjamins out there. His, his jean stealers too were very nice. They're really good. Yeah, 
and then uh, in keeping with the bends, the uh, another Ben has posted up some more of his retro orcs. Mm-hmm. Another, another finished shot of, of the the boozy orc we talked about last week, and this week he's sort of joined by Captain, and I just love these old metal orcs. Yeah, I think they're just such brilliant sculpts. Yeah, so characterful, and then with the like traditional paint job for him, you know the checks yeah. and yeah, just yeah, looks fantastic, doesn't it? Winds all round. Then in what seems like a, a, a traditional now Warren update. Warren with his Roman auxiliary. Oh, <laughs> do you want to talk about these, Andy? Um, Warren standard hashtag Warren standard. That's all I can say. Just like you know, uh, yet again, here they are, just looking well magnificent. Are we going to have our segment just called uh, the Warren segment soon, aren't we? Yeah, the, the Warren retrospective. Yeah. Um, like I say, baseball Warren retrospective. <laughs> Like special props to these as well for the, them being individually based. Yeah. But like you look at the multi base and they look like they're just eight dudes on a base, but then they're all individually based on there. That's, you know, props on that basing. Um, they look fantastic. And then my, my final comment from the gallery for, for me for this episode is actually your two Covenanter armies. Oh, cheers, buddy. Like you put up with, with your flags on. And I think they show really, they, I think they really show the potential for like smaller scale gaming in like both both rank and flank and, and even like larger skirmish games. Because like if you were to look at those two games, those two armies that you've put up in your picture in 28 mil, they would be a large army. Oh yeah, they would be a pain to transport and a, a pain to keep and everything. Whereas they look like I, I know at the moment you put them down, they're, they're two armies, but they just look like a, a cool spectacle. Yeah, and you you play them as a single army, that's just going to be a really cool yeah. gaming environment, and they just look fab. I mean, I've got some other other bits for that army, some more horse and more cannons and stuff. It was just I was trying to make a balance between what I had and. Yeah, if I was to paint them in 28 mil, you know, unless I was Warren, you know, just churning them out, <laughs> um, that would take me forever to get done. Um, so, you know, 10 mil is a really good option, quick to paint, and they look they look really good on the table, I think, uh, my opinion. Yeah, I agree. So talking about playing games in like a slightly different scale than maybe what the rules were originally invented for or, or what people may see as the main scales. Shall we jump into games we played? Absolutely. Games we played. So in today's games we played, we're actually going to sort of have a game review of the men who would be kings. Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. And I was lucky enough to play this against Andy with... Uh, I used his French Foreign Legion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, he kindly lent to me. And, and I had Moroccan rebels coming out of the desert. What did you... What was your... When we'd set... We, we played on a 3 by 3 map, didn't we, with some terrain? Yeah. And, and what was your initial thoughts when we were sort of sat across each other on the table with those two armies on the table? What were your initial thoughts... 
So I followed the recommended army lists in the back of the book. And there's a section for North Africa and there's different armies. And obviously I wanted French Foreign Legion. For some reason, the French Foreign Legion, I think Bo Jest was on Sunday afternoons as a child. And I used to watch it on the BBC. And it's put this idea ahead of French Foreign Legion being kind of cool to play with. So I was like, French Foreign Legion, who would they be fighting? Did some research. Okay, it's the Moroccans. Probably some, you know, uh, come out of the desert fighting these French Foreign Legion guys. So um, I used those army lists. I painted them up over it. It was good fun. I painted them up, well, about four years ago. I bought them a salute. I ordered them from um, Old Glory, uh, Blue Moon's 15 mil um, uh, models. They're really nice models, actually. But um, follow the army lists, and you didn't have many guys, did you, Tom? No. Um, I had three units. Yeah. But looking at them over the table... They, they they looked the minis themselves looked lovely. Yeah, they, they weren't well very nicely painted, but they looked lovely, and it actually looked like it was going to be like quite an, an interesting and like a realistic sized skirmish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had like six units. I think I had the three infantry units and then three cavalry units to your. Just plain. But your guys are really good. They were an elite force. And my guys, um, less so, should we say. Yeah, I I would say, like, having set up the table, we made a couple of mistakes in the terrain. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. I think you you needed some cover. You need to be defending behind some walls or something. Yeah. And I made one glaring mistake in uh, my first turn. Charging the enemy cavalry on foot? Yeah, I, I, w- I wasn't expecting your cavalry to move so far. Yeah. Like, I, I wasn't expecting your cavalry to go from like your board edge to the table midway point in one turn. Mm-hmm. I wasn't quite... Uh, yeah, I didn't expect them to be quite that fast and yeah. to be able to like charge on the end of a double move. I think that that is... But that is my fault for not knowing the rules. Yeah. Well, this is our first game. And I think when we started, we said it doesn't really matter. We're just learning how to play this game. Um, and if you're familiar with games like Pikeman's Lament, um, it's a blue... Oh, I should say this book is from Osprey. It's a little blue book. Their blue book series. And so it's not the densest, most thickest set of rules, you know. Um, but they played really well. Um, I really liked there's a system where you roll for the officer in each unit. And we spoke about storytelling for and um, how the story develops. And that's a really clear way at the beginning that the, you know, the story starts to form itself. So I rolled to see what my characteristics were for some of my leaders. And so when I rolled weakling, we decided that the officer was actually a, chi- a child. <laughs> the prophet boy who's now leaders. He's giving us, he's giving, telling us what to do, but we, he's only a child. And then there was the brutal guy who was really um, cruel to his men. And there was another guy who was really ugly. I remember the ugly did. <laughs> so we had to go on the flank. He's really ugly. We'll send him on the flank. No one wants to be around him and stuff. Um, and there were some good bonuses and some bad bonuses. And some, I think yours all just end up being like, one was just a, a really good guy. I think like 
like I had. I rolled three and two of them were nothing. Two of them were like a fluff. Like yeah. one of them is just like, oh, everyone really likes him, has no rule impact at all. Another one was like, yeah, he's just like a stalwart guy. And then yeah. I had a third. My other, the other one was like, he himself is likely to run away in combat, but like Bag of not, nerves. Yeah, but not it? affect yeah. the, the overall unit. I think like I really liked how they impacted the game like not mm-hmm. so much mine but like how yours impacted the game in yeah. that you know like the ugly guy the brutal guy and we were able to like talk about those units and they became yeah. unlike you know the unit led by the child that sort of really did lead an awful lot to that storytelling yeah i think if i was to play the game a lot i might possibly say right don't use that one because it's a little bit overpowered like the one that let you take a free action every oh, turn. Destined for great, great things. I rolled like a sixty-five. It was like one of the best options. You get to act. Everyone gets to act one. Well, you get to. I should explain the rules. You get to. You make it like a leadership check, a morale check, an order check. To see, and first of all, you roll to see what level of leadership you have. The lower, the better, and then you have to roll over that number. Um, so you roll to see how good the leadership is. And then you you roll for the, what their traits are. And then if you want to do an order, you roll. If you get over that, great. If you don't, you don't get to do it. Well, this guy, he was destined for greatness. So he got to do one order automatically. And then he could do another order So if he passed his roll. I mean, it's kind of fortunate I didn't roll the best leadership for him. Because otherwise he would have just been double activating. But towards the end, he, was, he got to shoot like twice, didn't they? Like every turn. Because he got into range. Then it was a... a some actions you don't need to test for, like shooting. And so he was just like, I'll just shoot twice then. Yeah, I, I think that that would be the ability to shoot twice. Maybe in, in, in the scenario we played was, I think, sort of quite, inst- you know, it was devastating mm-hmm. because you were then, you, you'd got an extra. Clearly, you, you, clearly just- you weren't looking at my dice rolls, Tom. I think it was <laughs> devastating. <laughs> But like so many ones. <laughs> yeah. Um but like without breaking it down into like a turn by turn basis, the thing is we, we rolled our initiative. We rolled our leaderships, didn't we? We saw, yeah. we filled them down. That was really the main bookkeeping of like there was a little bit the, 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 the whole bookkeeping of the game really was at the beginning. We rolled our leaderships and then we rolled our Traits. Like traits, didn't we? Yeah. And we each had a dashboard which you'd printed and laminated off, mm-hmm. which we could write because you have because we're cool and we like laminates. Yeah, that's but why. I, I would I would say to like actually like either write yourself down or print off a dashboard before you start playing. I think would really help yeah. with the playing because you have like your leadership and the modifiers on your leadership that you can roll or you can take as upgrades or downgrades. Yeah really like impacts the core stat line so yeah. it's it's probably very rare that you're actually going to be playing a unit with the exact stat line in the book yeah and so and if you've got like three units of regular infantry but they've all got slightly different stats mm-hmm. it's a lot easier just to have them written down and it takes yeah. like a minute yeah. yeah yeah i mean it was it, the leadership and then um the traits could radically so my best unit of cavalry 
end up being my worst unit of cavalry because their brutal leader gave them minus two to all the order checks because they don't want to do what he tells them because he's a bit of a, a meanie. <coughs> I, I believe the, kid, the cool kids are calling it these days. And it might sound like this is horribly complicated, all these different units with different stats, but because you're playing with probably... Like, I had three units. Yeah. And, and like, we were playing the full 24-point yeah. game. I had three units. Andy had six. So it's more than, you know, even if we were to expand it slightly, it's so easy to, like, keep track of your different units. Mm-hmm. And you go, boom, boom, boom. They, 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 they work differently. They activate differently. It's, I think it, 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 I really like it as it allows you to really different. You're not just playing three units of riflemen. Yeah. They, they feel like three different units. Yes. Yeah, they do. They do. Um, and the, it's brutal as well. Like the shooting can be absolutely devastating. You, you were shooting my units and I was just like, you just, they don't, they don't last very long on the board. We no. it that way. Cavalry charges are, I think, more brutal. <laughs> <laughs> are they? No, I didn't. I didn't notice your as your your men were destroyed by my <laughs> cavalry. Uh, yeah, I'd say it's a very. I, I would say it's a very brutal and quite quick game. Like we mm-hmm. we were like on the cusp of playing two games, and we started relatively late. Yeah, uh, and like it was the first game we played, and we were like almost like, shall we play another game? And then we didn't because we were ended up chatting to another friend. But like, I think we could easily if once we'd played like a couple more games. Yeah, if we had organised ourselves and started earlier and got on, as always, we have to talk and we have to chat for ages before we start playing. I don't know why we need to get on, but we um, we definitely could have got two games in. Yeah, sure. like, I would say. What do you think? Like, including all the rolling and everything, about ninety minutes for a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tops. And once you get once you you get it down. And we were playing on a smaller scale, so I don't know if it made it easier. I I based them all up on pennies, and I actually used movement trays. Um, I have to say that was one of the best things I ever did was get those movement trays for moving the guys around, because um, it would have been just taking forever. Those fiddly little guys moving them, so just sliding like like we did with like Kings of War, you know, sliding around these little movement trays. Um, yeah, and because you you're not because the rules work. You don't measure per guy. It's like, you know, if one guy in the unit is in range, they're in range. If one guy yeah. can charge, they can charge. Movement trace just make perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. Because it's just like, right, they move forward, they move. And we we played it at 15 mil, and what we did was we dropped... We half the ra- half the ranges. So the, if it was like a nine-inch... She's using an odd number conveniently. So it was nine-inch for close range. Close range then became four and a half inches. Yeah. And um, it... Just worked perfectly. Yeah, we played on a, a three by three mat, and it worked f- great. Like we could have done. Like I would have preferred some like walls or like obstacles to defend. Oh, I thought that was fine. I, I liked he didn't have any walls <laughs> or obstacles to defend. I was fine with that. But uh, we, we have plenty of hills in one building. But I, I really enjoyed it. I really yep. liked it, and oh, I, yeah. I, it made me quite enthused about the possibility of playing like more like 18th and 19th century like smaller scale conflicts yeah although you could you could play even you could do even something like you know cowboys with like lincoln county war something like something like that or you know the boer war 
anything that you sort of wanted to do, like I think would be quite fun. I don't know from just the one game. I my takeaway might be that forces which have more units do better than smaller elite forces simply because how the shoot when you if you have like three units shooting at one unit and the unit that one unit like takes two or three casualties from each unit they're going to die like they're not going to like my guys didn't run away never yeah but they just kept taking unit after like turn after turn they were just whittled down yeah and like like actually morale from shooting was never a big thing because they were just wiped out before it became a problem like my guys would just be shot and gone yeah like before morale became a real issue yeah like one of my units would take out like half of one of your units like one of my units could kill one of your units in two turns mm-hmm. basically it took two to roughly two turns of shooting for one of my units to kill one of yours but because you outnumbered me at least two to one mm-hmm. you were able to kill me quicker than i could kill you yeah and i'm not sure if that will always pan out mm-hmm. so you might be better with slightly more numerical balance in the forces but i i don't know if we just played quite like an extreme well we've got to play some more and, and find out and you know um it wouldn't i mean that was 24 points which is the recommended but it wouldn't take very much to add some extra points true but it, it'd actually be hard to add to the the moroccan rebels and you need more models <laughs> for those guys than you do for um for the french royal legion because they're so elite yeah, like I, I think, I think it, it would be interesting to play against. I, I definitely want to play the game again, yeah. and I think it would. I think it would also be interesting to play again, and see if you didn't have the like destined for greatness. Mm-hmm. Well, we, I mean, we'd roll. I mean, it was you that know, was just a fluke. A, that was a, a one. The one result on like a six and a yeah. five, I think it was, and that's yeah. like yeah. yeah. That was just that, that that one fluke, and if I didn't advance, so I get caught by the cavalry. <laughs> But you know, I don't know about. But I, after we played it, I came home, and I started looking at fifteen and ten mil armies of playing it. Yeah. I think actually, also for me, it highlighted which I'd never really previously seen the point of before, the benefits of fifteen mil gaming. Yeah. Because I could like look at the, all the individual guys, see exactly who they were, mm-hmm. and like in my units, like you'd painted. The commanders of each unit separately so yeah. like when we're rolling see does the commander die or not i could instantly pick out the commander yeah. take him out and we were able to like take out the casualties from the units as they went and i, I think that's sort of like the 15 mil in the unit trays made them like i don't know how big the unit trays were but they were like they didn't feel much bigger than like 60 by 30s they might be what mm-hmm. 70s before 40s something like that they, they, they were small whereas but they were organically shaped so they're not regular squares oh your um yours were because obviously yeah. you were you were like proper trained regular riflemen so yours were the square ones but mine were all natural shapes yeah but like on the so it's like in storage they're hard to take up any more room than they were if they were 10 mil yeah but you could see them instantly on the table who what what model was mo- each model 
and you're able to still sort of play them with individual minis, mm-hmm. which and like on the penny basis, they were just really cool. Because when after we played it, my original thought was, oh, I'm definitely just going to play this in ten mil. But then like, I came home and started looking at some of the fifteen mil models, and I actually thought, no, do you know what? I might well do a, a couple of armies for this in fifteen mil next year. Yeah, yeah. I think for on pennies at least, it, it's worth the fifteen mil is just that little bit better detail than ten mil. Um, yeah, it's my yeah. opinion. Oh, and when you're maybe only having like fifty models, I think. The, the cost of 15 mil and there are some like really good 15 mil models and deals out there yeah and, you know actually i might well look into that well you, you might want to look at i don't know what the options are for plastic 15 mil i know certainly these these guys i'm i use they are really nice model but they're not cheap yeah well you can all to be honest for the the 19th century stuff you can always like I might actually explore the like 172 plastic stuff. Mm-hmm. The the reason why I I've always really never really seen the point of 15 mil over 28 is you like price up a 28 mil army and then you price up a 15 mil army and like the 15 mil army is maybe like 10 percent cheaper. Yeah, and you go actually or or even not even that, and you go what's the point because you're used to sort of smaller scale being cheaper, mm-hmm. but. I think I'm getting more, I don't know about you, but I'm getting more to the point of what form factor best fits the game. Yeah. And what form, like scale, best fits, like, my hobby life. Yeah. Like, I'm thinking, like, those two forces that we fought with the other day, they would fit in, like, one tray in a really useful box. Well, they fit in, I packed them into half a half KR case. That's the standard unit of transportation a half kr case um and still plenty of room for a few extra bits and pieces in there yeah so you know i'm thinking you know half a case half a really useful box for the force half a tray like then the tray on top for some walls and bits of scattered terrain yeah sort of jobs are good and yeah yeah i thought it was fantastic i had a really fun time i really really enjoyed playing it i was so pleased i painted them over lockdown had them for four years I was like, oh, so enthusiastic. And I got, okay, bought as soon as the, the, the rule book came out, I was like, this looks great. Can I order these armies? And then promptly did nothing with them. <laughs> and then now I got the paint on lockdown. I thought they looked great. It was a fun game. And I was, I would be very happy to play some more in the future. No, I think it, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I can think of like all sorts of things, like all sorts of periods in a way where you could play it using the exact same rules. You could join yeah. like the War of 1812 and all sorts. You could I mean, we joked it. on the night about you could use it with a bit of tweaking maybe to play Dune. Yeah. You know, desert desert warriors coming out of the desert, fighting people, maybe did a few little extra bits and pieces here and there, but sandworms. Yeah, I think you could, you know, a few extra bits and pieces or you just jig a couple of what the weapon rules are and just say, well, it's not this, it's this instead. And yeah. Like away you go, you know, like the great like example of you know, like World War Two games. When you're in combat, you're not exploration always like you're not like punching and kicking each other. You're using hand grenades and yeah, pistols. You know, same thing. You could say, well, we'll take you know, antique weapons which have got like the nine inch range. We'll just replace those for bows. Yeah, that's what I I can think of. Yeah, loads of gate, loads of periods I can think of playing with it. And 
I think even you could even maybe say, right, well, if you wanted to play a period, but on a budget, you could say, right, we'll keep the points the same, but like half the number of dudes in a unit. So we'll go for like six dudes in a unit rather than 12. Yeah, I mean, you can always make adjustments. If yeah. it's equal, if you half the models in your unit and I half the models in my unit, then it should equal up. Yeah, like I, I like to not keep stress this, but I, I think it's one of those perfect games where if you want to play it, you build both forces. Yeah. And then you go, right, I want to play this weird period or this like weird battle. I'm going to bottle both armies. That it's almost going to be like a mm-hmm. the equivalent of a board game. Yeah. That you yeah. say down the club or whoever who wants to play this because like yeah. you, you're French Foreign Legion and Moroccans. It's like unlikely anyone else is going to have like any Moroccans to play. Uh, that was exactly why I bought both because I thought if I want to play this game, I'm just going to have to do both sides because I can't expect anyone else to have this. Yeah, like I, I'm really interested in possibly doing like Italians and Abyssinians. Yeah, like the first Italian Abyssinian War, which you know would be cool. Can't not going to expect anybody else to have either. You know, like late 19th century Italians or late 19th century Ethiopians. Yeah. Um, not even sure if we can actually get those models, but that's something that would sort of like, you know, interest me to do, and I'd be quite happy to do like both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where, you know, a lot of these Osprey games really shine in that you're allowed to sort of do that. Like, you know, you're playing Pike and Shot on Wednesday night, but you could easily play Pike Wins Lament with you too. Oh yeah, I really, I really, I think is it the same guy? Not hundred percent sure. Uh, if you know, comment on the Facebook group. And if you're not on the Facebook group, why not join us now on Facebook? Join the conversation there. Yeah, I was really happy. I really enjoyed it. I wouldn't say it's going to be everything I want to play from now on. It wasn't. I, I don't think it's a bit like a a tournament level kind of eyes down. You know, Game of Thrones, not Game of Thrones, Throne of Skulls. <laughs> I mean, you could probably play if you wanted to, um, but I thought just something that I pull out every so often and just have a fun night playing. I mean, isn't that kind of what we all want? Just something well, fun to play on a night. We we were having a chat the other day, weren't we, off air about like coming up with a sort of like a scoring metric mm. for, for when we look at games. We should talk about that now, Tom. And you sort of came up with what you think is like the game. I so key it. Yeah, so the game is this is what you're going to be doing from now on. Like when I was just playing 40k, that was the game. There are other games, but this is the game that I am playing. Yeah. Don't talk about anything else. This is going to be it from now on. Then key game. The a key game is so you have four or five games that are like like I play bolt action. I play uh, pike and shot. I play you know different games that are like these are my main games that I key forge. So I would imagine in a month I'll be playing maybe two or three of those key games. Yeah. An occasional game. Uh, uh, so this is in a game you go like oh, three or four times a year. You go, oh, I know what. Every so often I'm going to get that game out and play it. Then reluctantly game. I don't like it, but my mate likes it. So I guess I'll play it to keep him happy. Avoid. Yeah. Your mate wants to play it. So you tell him no. Very quickly, without going through them all, this, I don't think at the minute I have something that I would say is like the game. Yeah, same here. Yeah, it's I like, think I have in the past. I said 40k for a long time was like that was the only game I was playing. Yeah, I have like a number of key, like my key games are 
bolt action, pike and shot, and Keyforge. Yeah. You know, and then like, occasional games of things like Warmaster and yeah, those kind of things. And then I suppose I would reluctantly game a game of 40k if somebody was like, will you play me at this 40k game? Please. I don't, I don't even think I know how to play it anymore, Tom. Like, the new rules. Honestly, I'm joking. I'm like, not even sure. I think it's moved on so much in the two editions since I've been playing. That's actually true because I don't have the rules anymore. So now I'd probably have to put that down to an avoid. Yeah, <laughs> I'm washing my hair. <laughs> I'll go first with men who would be kings, but I would put it definitely in the like occasional game bracket. Yeah. But I, I think maybe saying like playing it every like four times a year might be a little bit much. I might yeah. like, put it down to, like maybe a couple of times a year, yeah. but I'm still playing it a couple of times a year, and that is for me in a way a commitment to a game because i know we've talked about actually how many games like we play a year before in previous podcasts but like theoretically i probably have like 30 like tabletop sessions a year to game in Mm -hmm. and so like two of them is a decent percentage of my actual gaming time and that's yeah I, i i i've already got the rules I can see me building a couple of armies to play next year or, or in the future when I'm out of projects or I come up with an idea for a project, they might well be the rules that I use for it. Mm. So controversially, I completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had Dan as an occasional game as, as well. I, I can't see me going. I can't see it knocking bolt action off my top spot at the moment. And it's got a key forge as well. You know, I've made commitments to those games, but I think it, it was it was really good fun just to just to pull out and have a quick uh, a session playing with this these, these rules. And um, I think we'll, we'll be a bit quicker next time we play. We've never played it one time. Uh, um, so yeah, definitely yeah. have played it two or three times a year. Yeah, I think I'd also say like to sort of have a little bit of backward compatibility. I'd, I'd list it similarly to Chain of Command. Yeah. Like I think I'd definitely say like Chain of Command. I think it's an occasional game, um, although very different. Very very different, but I can like I can see instances where I'd want to play that as well. Mm-hmm. Like, but I, I I can see there are reasons for both of them where I yeah. don't think it would ever be like this is what I want to play Wednesday every week. Yeah, but you know both, and I think we'll try and keep this sort of system going. As we review more games, as you know, we're now gaming regularly. And I believe the next game we're going to play is Stargrave. As requested on the, the poll, we will be playing Stargrave next. In fact, I've got my space goats out and I've I've um what's the word looking for? Like made them better. They were all off the, what's the word looking for? Spruce them up. I've actually got my space goats out and spruce them up. Ready to play you, Tom. So that'd be exciting. Well, I've got to decide, do I bring the intergalactic foreign legion of anteaters and camels or do I bring my space Germans? Well, have to decide. only only time will tell. (laughs) Yeah, which do we do? If you have an opinion on which Tom should bring, (laughs) let us know on the Facebook page. No, no more polls because polls are always equal. (laughs) It's like... Uh, Yeah, thanks everyone who helped me choose what to paint.
the other day. I haven't actually started playing them yet, but I will. Well, you get the painted, we're going to start playing Black Powder. Yeah, I've got the line infantry done. I've just got the, the officers and the horses. Um, and I ordered some extra bits, which would be, you know, the artillery and stuff I need to get done. Yeah. So if I get the basics done, we can play Absolute Emperor. Yeah. Quality. Hmm. So, shall we jump into our interview with Martin? Let's get the interview rolling. Celebrity interview. Fantastic news, everyone. We have the wonderful Martin here from, you probably know him as Seventh Son. He's our most uh, biggest celebrity we've ever had on the show. He's a total <laughs> war in the roses. All that comes up are his videos on YouTube. I've put a link on the on the Facebook group. So hopefully a lot of you have already watched them beforehand and uh, get a chance to watch them again. But Martin, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. So, um, I think you're, you've got a bit of a reputation now. Um, I'm sure people have seen you on Seventh Sun on YouTube and the Plastic Crack podcast, but you have a bit of a reputation as being the expert now on War of the Roses for gaming. If you type <laughs> in War of the Roses, I was just casually the other day looking up just stuff about War of the Roses, and Google came up and said, do you mean War of the Roses Seventh Sun? And I thought, for once, I don't actually, I'm not actually for that, but you know, maybe I will try and watch it at work. You got lots of videos out there about War of the Roses, but what in particular attracted you to War of the Roses? Because now you have a, a historical background, is that right? Yes, I do. Yes, I'm a I'm an archaeologist, so um, yeah, history and um, and archaeology is is my uh, my day job as well. So um, so yeah, but I love it. Um, the the Wars of the Roses. What one of the first reenactments I ever went to was in the uh, was probably in like 92 or 93 and it was the, the Bosworth Field one and I went with my mum and dad and um and I just got into it then and the Wars of the Roses has always stuck with me and it's something I've always been interested in um just because of the scope um but it was always a project that I knew that if I started I wouldn't be able to stop so I didn't yeah. start it um and then a few years ago I went to Salute the, the big game show in London and uh, the Perrys were doing a special offer on all of their box sets which came <laughs> as some three things and uh, <laughs> exactly I bought I bought three three boxes went around the show came back bought another three boxes had a chat with Alan and Michael, made the mistake of going on their Facebook page where they were doing some Wars of the Roses stuff, strong-armed my friend who was with me into doing exactly the same as me, um, and then just went for it. And that was, I started building them about two and a half years ago now. Mm -hmm. um, but as I say, it's something that I knew I wasn't going to be able to stop because I'm not really building it to just try and make one army. I'm trying to build, build up like a, a big collection I can use however I want I'm not necessarily just building it for one system I'm just I like all these different characters to do with the Wars of the Roses so that was the I don't really have a named goal yeah. <laughs> I just gotta keep going I've watched I watched I've watched a few uh, many of your your videos now and I know I like that you have all the different characters and you can just add a character in and you can just change the flavor so if it's Falkenberg or Henry Percy or whatever it might be Tom recorded some wonderful um, stuff about War of the Roses. We did some research and it does seem um, at first glance um, quite a, a tricky one, a tricky sort of history to get involved. I know you did a really good um, video a few months ago about getting involved in starting to collect War of the Roses. But I mean, my goodness, where, where would you recommend someone starts? I think one of the what I, what I did with that video 
Well, one of, sorry, one of the hardest things about that video was actually making it. I tried about five or six times to actually make it over four or five months because I kept getting emails and messages asking me about it. And as you say, I actually found it really hard. See, in my head, I knew where I was going to start. I knew what I wanted to do. But I've had other people come up to me and say, oh, what do you recommend I get? And since, well, I don't know. What are you trying? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to get out of it? I think one of the main bits of advice is I would say it. You, you need to find this happy medium between a wargaming standard and a historical yeah. standard. And that's the problem because, of course, you have people who are into some people just want to play a game. Yeah. Some people want to uh, recreate history. Um, I fall between the two because I love the history. I'm really interested in the history. I, I, I read about it all the time. But at the same time, it's got to operate as a game because ultimately yeah. that's what I'm, I'm playing it for. So I then basically broke that down into component parts so you're saying right well each there's going to be major lords there's going to be minor nobles how are they going to work in the game yeah. realistically the minor nobles aren't going to have that much effect so i'll just mix those in as unit leaders i can have there because there's all this fantastic heraldry um yeah. which loads of people have done research on and then you get into the problem of well, well what, what livery colors do i paint all of my troops and you just have to kind of get away from the fact that we don't have a huge amount of information on them so you can kind of do pretty much whatever you want because ultimately were you there um i, mean, I was looking up about livery colors as you do uh the other day and i found contradictory stuff about yeah. different people having and i'm like well do you just choose what you want to i guess what you feel like's best yeah it does there's a there's a lot of um assumption and there's some of it that's made based on sources um we have descriptions of livery coats and there are some illustrations on manuscripts of mm. of livery coats um some of the better known ones such as edward the fourth's murray in blue with the um sun in splendor badge um but also not everyone would have had a livery coat because the, the, it's still a you know feudal kind of system you know you've got um your you if i was a noble <laughs> then i would i would have a lord who would be my patron and he might have a lord above him so when the the the, the lord in charge calls his men my lord would then go along and i would be required to wear a sash or a badge of his overall lord showing me what yeah. contingent i belong to so that's the kind of the theory that i've based all of my troops on so even though i might have someone like uh sir william parr um he was a grandfather of uh, Catherine Parr but anyway that's irrelevant uh, but, but um he um he served Warwick but instead of then going oh I need to paint up some men in his livery I've just painted his men up in Warwick's livery because ultimately yeah. he's serving Warwick so that's how I'm, I've just got around that because you could drive yourself crazy there are a lot and there's a lot of uh shall we say uh debate <laughs> um enthusiastic debate over livery colors but the problem is they change them all the time as well they you know they got a bit of money you know i want a new livery badge or i want some new new kit so they would do their men up and because you've got people who are becoming king or they drop off or someone becomes a is made duke or then falls away they, they're changing it all the time um so i ultimately i just do what in a wargaming world looks cool i think yeah. that's the, the best thing i mean that that was my thought as well i don't know about you tom yeah the sort of like i i built a, a war of the roses army early this year and I, I sort of one of the things i struggled with was building an army that is sort of useful for sort of like both like multiple battles and sort of like a decent length of time because I, mm. I couldn't find because i find most of the sources are pretty vague or non-existent or they, they don't give you the like granular detail you get from mm. a lot of other battles so was, 
and then I, I realized it wasn't going to be a, a mass uptake of people picking it up at the club so i built a relatively large army that can function as one army for playing something like pikeman uh nevermind's bill hooks yeah i might play play quite a large army like that or if i just actually want to play some war of the roses era gaming i can split it in half and play lion rampant i think one of the, yeah, lion one of the other yeah. one of the osprey games which i should play the same period with half the number of troops and all that i did for the liveries for that was i found a yorkist and lancastrian livery that was both black and red and just painted them up very similarly and my like historical reasoning for that one is they're going to fight the Battle of Worksop, which is like the closest battle to where I grew up, mm-hmm. yeah. and they've got no idea who fought there. They just know if there was a battle here at some point during the War of the Roses. We don't actually know who it was. Don't know when it was. Was at some point during this. Was <laughs> it was a very point, important battle, obviously. Was at some point during this period because that's why the church's door got smashed in and they recovered a load of arrowheads and that was like that's about the the amount of like historical background you've got to work with there was a battle here at some point we don't know when or with who so like that's, use this as a, your excuse for sort of gaming yeah. and playing that's that's incredibly common in the wars of roses but it also means as war gamers that we've got uh, a large amount of um should we say uh opportunity to fill in as we want as well because you know they all the large events are recorded but the smaller events there there would obviously have been border raids there would have been small skirmishes small skirmishes between the houses and that's what we can play out as war games and we could just make it up and i personally don't know about you but i think really on, on a tabletop like a normal game those smaller skirmishes are a better thing to play really than you know we're not representing 50,000 people here in a blizzard we're representing 200 i think yeah. it's slightly especially at like a 28 mil scale uh, six by four yeah yeah it, it can be so i i kind of i i personally sit in, in a bit of a weird middle ground um because i like mass bath i i love mass battles um i think I'm, I'm upward now of nearly 750 models that i've done for the wars of the roses and i want to put them all on the board um <laughs> and um i and damn the fact that a lot of them won't move um you know because of other other models but i do enjoy the skirmishing and things like that in fact i what what i want to do is have skirmishes prior to large battles and really mm-hmm. play that that out so you have to scouts out the night before or you have the village in the middle and then you expand that battlefield so you still have the village set up the way it was for your skirmish and then you expand to have to battle around it maybe your men capture it and then that gives you somewhere that you can deploy it to begin with or you can bring your artillery forward or, or something like that it's something i'm playing around with for, for all periods of black powder um napoleonic stuff as well um so i it's the skirmishing though it's a, it's a lot of fun because it did go on they got like the battle in nilby green and um all the stuff between the um uh the guys in norfolk and the pastons that all um that all kicked off as well i know at our club we it's not war of the roses but it's english civil war so we're playing small skirmishes but in October, we've booked one day. We're all going to bring all of our toys and mm. set them up and have vicious pike battles. Yep, that's yeah, the way. Ing- yeah, hours, I hours of vicious Sorry. pike. Go on, Andy. Sorry, I'm, I was interrupting you. Go on. Oh, I just said that we we're going to have pike block action, like hundreds of pikemen just slowly advancing towards each other over an entire day, and then yeah. failing order checks. This is a tradition. 
<laughs> yeah. And I can recruit people to manage battalion of my horse because there's too many for me to move on my own. So, <laughs> with all that, with all that in mind, where do you start? What do you start with? Do you do you do you, would you say look at the role system? Do you pick a character? Do you choose a battle? Do you choose uh, a color that you know is easy to paint? Like black and red. <laughs> um, per- personally, if I was going to do it, I would I would pick a battle. Um, and I say if you were going to do it, I have done it. Uh, pick a pick a battle. I pick Talton. Um, yeah. And look at and then look at the lords who are present and uh, and then just pick one and, and go with him i mean the, the makeup of most people's battles or retinues was was pretty much the same it's just that some of them could could field more men um someone like um uh, falkenberg you know he's not gonna have as many men as his nephew warwick because warwick was minted and could just buy everything he wanted and yeah. bring everyone with him and um the guy had a, a passion for firearms and black powder weaponry which um didn't always go that well um but um it, I would pick um, something like that. And the thing is, is the backbone of your army is going to be Billman and uh, Bowman. Yeah. So the Perrys make a very handy box or Bill and Bow. If you're doing it at 28 mil or the other companies, um, uh, say Peter Pig at 15 mil or uh, Pendragon at 10 mil, they do like, you know, you can buy loads of these. Um, and the way I worked it, and as I said in my video, um, there's a little bit of debate about this, is it ratios of archers to foot, but I work on the idea of two to one. Um, mm. And uh, so I make basically twice as many archers up as I do everything else just to get that uh, that feeling. But the way I play, because I decided to use Hail Caesar um, for my rules, um, I because of the scale at which I was depicting it, I decided to mix my Bill and Bow units together because ultimately one unit's meant to represent, I don't know, like 200 guys, really. And I'm not going to make two separate units, one of Bow, one of Bill, because then they start getting in the way of each other. And ultimately, it's just this is this Lord's men. He's got some bowmen. They would retreat behind the lines or get involved afterwards. And he's got some Billmen in there as well. So I thought it was best to represent it. But because I based them separately, if I do then want to go and play, say, never mind the bill hooks, I can separate them out into their component parts and have just units of archers because you're looking at things on a much smaller scale. You can send yeah. your archers around the side of the village to shoot at some people taking cover while your billman assaults uh, the front of a church, for example. So I, if, if, correct me if I'm wrong, you get three kind of battles in a battle. <laughs> the yes. guy has three, uh, the commander has like a, uh, a left, a right, and a center, or vanguard is the first one in, isn't it? So you have yeah. three battles, and they are made up of various troops. Would you say, like, just work on one of those battles first? Yeah, I mean, Apologies generally... to the listener yeah. that we have two things with the same name, battle and battle. In. <laughs> yeah, um, so, so yeah, so, so for example, take, take Towton. Um, you, the Yorkist side is uh, Lord Falkenberg, who led the vanguard. You have um, Edward um, and you have Warwick. Um, so you can set those up as three separate commanders. And then underneath them, you'll have all sorts of minor nobility who will have brought their men along to the battle. So Warwick, all the lords that owe Warwick service would have turned up and would form part of his battle. Same with Edward, same with, yeah. with Falkenberg. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so the idea would be that the vanguard goes in again. And then that's usually now I'm going to get slaughtered here because I'm going to get it wrong. Uh, it's usually the right hand wing of the army that goes forward so your vanguard goes forward and the enemy's vanguard goes forward um at opposing times and that's when it becomes a problem when the armies aren't aligned properly like at the battle of barnet so edward's um vanguard led by his brother richard um quite easily smashed through um 
the Lancastrian lines, but conversely on the other side, the Lancastrians are overlapping with Hastings and just smash through him. So it does rely on things being um, <laughs> you would you, you would then have other you would have reserves that came up. So at Towton, Norfolk arrives um as reserves. Well, I think he was meant to be he was meant to be there from the start, but he conveniently turned up at just the right point <laughs> and um sort of swung it for the Yorkists. So but generally yes, you have three battles or divisions. Um, I think you just call them in any other um, situation and um, each one of those is led by a commander and then you have one of those commanders would be the overall army commander in this case Edward. Cool I mean I'm I'm thinking I for me I'm looking um, for my force I just found out that yours are painted black and red so this should be incredibly convenient Tom because I was looking at Henry Percy because he <laughs> had such a I thought he had such a good story about how he this is my this is how I, I sort of like to start an army choose a character mm-hmm. um, rather than a particular battle and then sort of follow their history and then and learn the history of that person and then collect a force to go with it so he started off he lost everything he was imprisoned at, he was imprisoned he's like tower of london and then he gets it all back again and he gets everything and then um Richard of York's depending upon him at the Battle of Bosworth and then um, he's like actually you know what I don't fancy charging in because it's War of the yeah. Roses no one trusted <laughs> didn't you steal all my stuff originally I don't think I'm going to charge in um so for me I thought that you know following the story of a character would be a really good way yeah. to start and I mean I mean that is, that, is, that is a good way, and that's kind of the, the, sort of the second part of it, because you could look at a battle and you could take somebody like like Falkenberg, for example. Yeah. He's got um, a name, hasn't he? Falkenberg. He has Falkenberg, Will, uh, William Neville, Earl of Kent, Lord Falkenberg. Um, but he dies in um, 1464, so he's only around for... That is inconvenient does, if you want to play that, that whole period. <laughs> exactly. Um, but he does. he's one of the few to die in um, die peacefully, shall we say. Um, he doesn't he isn't executed or killed in battle. Um, so, um, yeah, you could use him. But you've some characters are only around for one battle and that's it. Yeah. So you, you could take somebody like uh, Lord Egremont, uh, who was uh, one of the Percy's. Uh, but he's only around for uh, the Battle of Bloor Heath and then the Battle of Northampton. Um, mm-hmm. And then that's it. Uh, whereas the the Percy you're talking about, yeah, the that's uh, that would be his nephew. No, that was his brother, I think. And um, he he was obviously yeah taking capture. But do, do you know what happened to him? Do you know what happened? You to you, him? you you missed, I didn't have, I meant to read up how he died. You said it was it was particularly charming. So uh, so yes, of course. So he didn't he didn't come and help uh, Richard at the Battle of Bosworth. And there's this uh, rather no one knows if it was just through indecision or uh, whether he was paid off or whether yeah, as you say, yeah. he just looked at it and goes, "Hang on a minute." Uh, but <laughs> late, later, I think it I think it was um, four years later, he was, um, was touring Yorkshire and he upset some locals who basically dragged him off his horse and lynched him. Oh, uh, so because now again there is um I, I can't quite remember the the ins and outs of it i can't remember if it was to do, if he was collecting taxes or, or quite what he was doing but there was a certain feeling that because richard um was so loved in yorkshire that that was a bit of minor revenge so ultimately he was uh killed by peasants i got as far as he, like henry sent him off in diplomatic missions i never got as far as him being yeah yeah, he was. I, I can't remember if it was uh, specifically for that, or if he was, or if there was a minor rebellion. But I know, I know it wasn't the grand end in like a cavalry charge or in battle. Um, I think he was just basically summarily tried by uh, by some um, commoners and uh, and then killed. It's probably a bit more grisly than just being lynched as well, wouldn't it be? Yeah. Like Middle Ages. 
Yes, there is. Um, I'm currently, I'm, what did she say? The thing is, is once, once you say have a main battle, I'm at the stage now where I can just start picking out all these little characters mm-hmm. who've got interesting stories and making up a base for them um, or, uh, and, and finding ways to include them in my army. Uh, not necessarily having rules, but just having them there on the battlefield. So I'm currently building um, John Tiptoff, who's known as the Butcher of England, and he was Edward's uh, constable. And uh, he was known for impaling 20 people in um, Southampton on uh, things. So I've, uh, I've actually managed to get my hands on some, um, some impaled models, uh, which I'm going to uh, see if I can convince my opponents, let me write some rules for and put on the battlefield prior to. And he, uh, and he was considered quite a nice guy at the time. <laughs> well, yeah, he was. Um, he's got this horrific reputation now, um, uh, but it's a really good book. And um, in it, basically, he traveled all over um, Europe and he went to um, uh, to the east. And that's probably where he got, shall we say, got into impaling. And, um, and then he brought it back because and the, the English was so outraged by the impaling you know we just like hanging drawing and quartering people that's fine yeah. but the moment you impale somebody that um that's taken, that's taken it too far um yeah the book is by uh let me just get this right the book is by peter spring um and he's just done and basically he was saying that this guy was actually one of the most learned men of his time um and i was saying oh what a fantastic idea for a base i can just have this guy he probably is a non-combatant just hanging around at the back and just because like the lancastrians will see him they'll be terrified ultimately he met a really grisly end as well he got his head um his head chopped off um by the lancastrians when they made edward flee but because he he was such a (laughs) such a dude he basically asked the executioner to take three strikes to take it off one uh one strike for each of the holy trinity and also for the the three sons of york so up until uh, even to the point he had his head cut off he um he he was a bit of a dude that's uh, that's, i have to check that book out that sort of sounds quite of course i i really sort of do you find that now like it is war of the roses and sort of that sort of period in history like the period that you now sort of dictate both like your gaming and your like leisure learning time too uh, yes pro- probably at the, at the moment um my my historical gaming started with world war ii um and flames of war and that then sort of changed to Napoleonics in 2015 because I won a battle set, the La Haison set from Warlord Games. Uh, I won it on the 200th anniversary. I think I just, I can't remember how it worked now. Some podcast I I commented um, and I won this big old box set and that's why I started collecting Napoleonics. Um, But I started to wind down on that. But the Wars of the Roses, I keep on finding new things. Um, With each, the, the great thing is, with the wars of roses there are so many authors and so many historians and so it covers 30 plus years of of history there's always new research and new stuff that's been found and that's really good for wargaming so as soon as i'll be like oh i think i'll i'll take a break from it now and then like that book came out that john tipped off i was like nope right i'm back now got to got to make something else um and i'm coming to the end of sort of my uh, building up uh, the earl of warwick's um, division at the moment and um, i decided i basically that's what i was going to focus on this year um and i'm getting to the end of that so you'd think i'd probably go oh, i'm gonna maybe have a break but i've already sort of earmarked who i want to do next um and i've bought all of the uh, all of the i've got five boxes of perry stuff above me ready to um start building that out so it does it does 
um dictate my my gaming because we're trying to play a campaign and my opponent who's done just as many as i have he's but he, obviously he's done the lancastrians um i try to get as many games in as i can but um it's a little bit harder to arrange it because although i do now have enough to play probably a decent sized game of hail caesar we're um so i'm gonna i might have to convince my wife to uh to try playing some medievals <laughs> No, because I know Andy and I are both um, have got Hail Caesar armies for ancients, uh, Romans versus Carthaginians, and they're in six mil. And mm. they're still relatively small Hail Caesar armies. So I wouldn't, yeah. I'd be quite intimidated, I think, personally, to sort of try and play a big game of Hail Caesar in 28 mil. Mm. Uh, so I, can, I can imagine sort of like needing like a pallet van sort of. <laughs> might transport my army around were you ever tempted to do war of the roses in six mil or a smaller scale was it just because uh, you saw a sale of 28 uh, uh, i feel like i should i should give some some really long and and uh in-depth answer about why i didn't do six mil. the the answer is um no i um i just <laughs> um I wanted to do all the livery and yeah. um, and all of the coats of arms and I wanted to try and do them justice. And while I think you can represent them well at smaller scales, I wanted to be able to show them off because that's part of the, the colour. I, I, I love the, the colour of the armies. I wanted flags and pennants and banners everywhere in my armies. Um, like you see in the medieval army, and I decided 28 was the, the best way to, to, to represent that. Um, with the size of the games, you could get a decent... A decent game of Hail Caesar. Well, we've we've played Hail Caesar and only had one commander aside each, and um, and that still works pretty well. I've just adjusted the rules um, a little bit to take into account some of the new, uh, we'll say, new some of the developments that happened in the Wars of Roses. Rick Priestley um, had done a, a sort of a two-page army list, which was made available through the Perry's um, Facebook page for a campaign they played. So I took that. Um, me and my opponent played a few games with it, and then we were like, we just want to go a little bit deeper here we want to sort of just so we started to sort of add bits of our own and some more house rules so um we could play what i would call skirmish a skirmish sized game of say a couple of hundred models <laughs> aside um up to large um you know f- free battle games i think what, uh, one of the games uh, two battles ago i think on the channel we bought we could we fielded two-thirds of what we had each um and i think we counted up and there was nearly 800 models on the board something like that one of my divisions didn't move for the entire game uh because of poor rolling um but yeah um it's um it's definitely something i did look at smaller scales and then i've just started a new project um or i'm buying the bits and again i looked at smaller scales for that and i've just gone back to 28 mil (laughs) because i i just like 28 millimeter and i i I think you're absolutely right for uh, a model if you're interested in like modeling and painting then 28 is the perfect I think it's the perfect scale between you can get that it's not so large that it mm-hmm. becomes difficult I mean it's always difficult to store all with loads of toys haven't we um yes. <laughs> but it's good it's good scale for for getting that modeling you can get the detailed heraldry on there six mil you can get a huge sweeping kind of vista of a huge battlefield Mm-hmm. Maybe it's more realistic it's like a huge napoleonic battle you can get really large forces on there but i don't think unless you are some sort of wizard 
you can't get that detail at that scale. So I think you're absolutely right. If for you, that's the heraldry and the look, then that's the perfect scale. I mean, pe- people do some fantastic, absolutely fantastic armies. I've seen them. I just know that personally, I wouldn't be able to do it justice yeah. at, to a level that I would be happy with at that scale. And I've played six mil and I played some great games uh, at Napoleonic. And uh, we, I remember playing down the club at the uh, uh, Battle of Shrewsbury that someone had done in 10 mil. And oh. that was absolutely fantastic. But um for me i just enjoy i enjoy 28 mil um and also there is more models available in that scale um across multiple manufacturers now obviously there is scale creep you do you know some some models are chunkier than others but you know people aren't you know the same they size. Are chunkier than um, <laughs> and, um um we try to you know you can you can mix them i don't have any problem mixing yeah like manufacturers unless there's some kind unless they sort of like come out looking like hobbits compared to the uh, the rest of the army um so but yeah i I'll just say sort of back to the original where you asked about it i i did consider it but um i just ultimately yeah i just wanted to do do that detail and i i didn't have a as i said sort of said earlier i didn't have a set goal really mm-hmm. uh, but i want to build a wars of roses army so there was no time limit on me there's no um pressure on me to do it i'm i'm sort of at the stage in my gaming now where i do projects because i want to do them and because i'm interested in doing them not because six other people are playing them in the club and i need to build up a force of a certain number of points yeah i just build up what i want when i want so i, I think you time. get to a certain point as a gamer when you have a collection of models and then you can just add bits in as you, you've got the base units covered you've got the arches you've got the knights you've got that's mm. there you're like, well, you know what? Maybe I'd like this guy. I can spend an evening yeah. doing a fancy base and do the heraldry. And <laughs> exactly, I, I've just added a um, a uh, I'm going to pronounce this a rebuilderquin. I have my... no idea what that is. It's uh, it's a, a volley gun. It's an organ ah. gun, um, which um, which Warwick had at St Albans, um, and, mm. and um, I found Redoubt Miniatures made made one. Um, but I wanted the crew to fit in with what I'd done already. And they do do some crew models, but I thought I've got so many of these plastics lying around. So I kitbashed and converted a plastic crew for the for the thing using um, the, the Perry plastics, but also the American Civil War <laughs> plastics. <laughs> you can see the arms were just, the arms, all they were, was very simply sleeved arms. There was no insignias yeah. on them, but they were holding things like um, the, uh, oh, the, the touch paper for yeah. for lighting the cannon and they were there aren't was you could do them carrying buckets and things so i was like well i'll just take those and i'll sculpt the bucket, by the bucket, you know. so hopefully they're in scale um and it could have some fun and it's the same thing it's like oh, i want to add a bombard because warwick had these two bombards the one was called newcastle and one was called london i want to add that yeah. i don't know what it would do in the game but i want to have this massive cannon on the battlefield um so yeah it's once you i think really you could play you could play hail caesar or say for the wars of the roses and have if you had four units per lord um and i build up my units in three bases so you're talking 12 bases per lord um so 36 overall and you could have a decent game of hail caesar yeah, yeah. do you think uh just talk going jump back slightly to the models do you think like the the, the perry plastics range really is like an absolute gem to sort of build to sort of build things in because i know like through the grapevine some people like grandfather in like equipment from the asian core ranges for like the early war mm. helms yeah. and stuff and then you know, as you said there you you were kit bashing using the american civil war um, <laughs> yeah and like, i i know i i think that uh, that's quite good because like, i know a lot of world war ii players use the american civil war 
kits mm. as well for bits and pieces. So it's, it's to, yeah, they can they now do. go back to the late mid late. Well, mid Why is there a Confederate well? general leading the D Day invasion? <laughs> I, they, they, there's some there's some great conversions <laughs> that people have done using the dead man hand uh, plastic cowboys. So I've yeah. seen some uh, some tank commanders um, in cowboy hats wielding six shooters out the top. It probably won't become as, as uh, yeah, I think the, the Wars of the Roses range, the plastic range, um, which is five sets by the Perrys, is uh, a fantastic range and a well thought out range that shows how, because also, yes, they're completely interchangeable. Um, you can, oh, I don't want my guy to have a sword. Oh, there's an axe on that uh, that other set. I'll just go and get that. Or I want my guy pointing. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic range. Um, they haven't covered everything. Um, I, I know that when we we spoke to them on the Plastic Crap podcast last, they said that there were still some 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 plans um, for the future. Um, but with those five sets, you can build pretty much anything. The only metals you've got to, I mean, it, um, you can build if you get, you can easily build up some commanders as well. Um, I just did um, the Earl of Warwick's brother um, by kit bashing together some, but it's a fantastic set, and um, they are also they are they were. I don't know if they still do it, but they were Wars of the Roses reenactors. They have a good understanding of the armor. Um, And as you say, the Agincourt stuff um, from their Footnight set, they fit in lovely. And there there would be stuff handed down because when the... um, if you like, when the uh, the levy are called up, when the, when the archers are called up, they're just going to grab, oh, I've got grandfather's helmet here. He didn't get killed at Agincourt. I'll wear it to Towton and then die. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, th- there would have been that. And I think that would have carried on through for quite a long time, um, you know, especially with swords. And not all knights could afford good forms of armour. You, you start to see the uh, that Gothic um, sort of style armor, the the Italian and German stuff, the black armor that comes in, but you'd have to have a bit of cash to be able to, you know, to use that. And also, you see the development of the weapons because you've got, um, you know, pole axes being used and shields were used, but not to the same extent as um, as other as other armies because you've got knights that are under pole axes coming along and the archers come along and you know afterwards and getting the knights that are on the ground and so it's. Um, the Perry sets give you a really good opportunity to build armies quite quick, but then there are some great metals out there. Obviously, the Perry's are their own, but there's um, there's front rank, uh, first core, Athena miniatures um, do some as well, um, and there's a couple of others that I can't remember off the top of my head, but I have got <laughs> got various models. Um, Steel Fist Miniatures, um, they do a very small range of late medieval stuff that's basically European, but I've mixed them in and just said that these are knights or nobles who have got a bit of cash and bought something, you know, had some armour made in Italy, and I've just mixed them in. I even um, mixed in some papal troops because I I found this story about this um, papal legate who um, came over and accompanied the Yorkists and before the Battle of Northampton excommunicated the entire Lancastrian army. Um, So I was like, right, he's got to be, he's got to be here. So I used the Perry the Perry range have uh, European stuff. So I, I got the papal thing. I've built up a base with uh, with him on. And I thought, well, he's not going to come all the way over from Italy without maybe some mercenary guards. And then I use that as an excuse to get some papal <laughs> troops in there. Um, no, just on the basis, this guy stood there and, um, yeah, unfurled the papal banner, then excommuted the whole Lancastrian army, but didn't actually have the permission of the Pope to do it. So... Uh, yeah, he wasn't very popular with the Pope when he uh, when he got back. In fact, he threw him in prison. So, uh, um, but yeah, again, sorry, I digress because there's all these little stories in the Wars of the Roses, and that's what I like. There's all these little snippets yeah. that you can pull out, and great modelling opportunities for them. I think um, I think 
when I go to Salute this year, if there's a sale on Perry's, I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> going to be, uh, well, I'm going to start off. I know uh, Tom and I, it's not Perry's, it was, it was some Wardour stuff. We talked about doing um, Napoleonics mm. in, in six mil. It's the sensible thing to do. We're definitely going to do it in six mil. Definitely, uh, definitely do six mil. And that's why I've got six boxes of Portuguese line infantry in my cupboard now. <laughs> oh, I think the same thing's going to happen with these these Perrys. I, uh, yeah. I can't do another one. Oh, hang on. Look at these yeah. lovely ones. They, there's <laughs> usually a convenient three for two on their boxes, I yeah. think. And, and, and you get like a metal figure free with it when you buy three of them, that kind of thing. I would oh, wow. say, though, from a, a purely gaming point of view, like as a, as a gamer point of view, rather than like even a historical gamer, like... Bowman, um, Pikeman or Billman or whatever are always, which are going to be the backbone of your War of the Roses army, are useful in so many games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, they could, and if you, you know, you could use them in in whatever. I'd use my bases in our tabletop role playing games. <laughs> so just to have them as a, a unit, uh, you know, because guards are a dime a dozen when you're playing things like Dungeons and Dragons. So I just move a base of um, six guys in that kind of armor chasing up my player characters around um so yeah you're right they're they're really really flexible and you get about 40 in a box as well so you get a good number of i can squeeze two and a half units out of a, a box of bill and bow um and, and men at arms as, as well so you know with a box of bill and bow and men at arms you've pretty much got the best part of a, a, a whole lord's contingent done and they're 20 quid each i think uh rrp so yeah. Yeah, that's all you need. And if you're on a, a budget, you can also pick up the individual sprues. Yeah. As as well to sort of like round out. If you actually go at one half a dozen extra bowmen, then you get in the box yeah. by that yeah. sprue. Yeah, I mean, my, my personal favourite out of the five box sets is the mercenary, the European infantry, the mercenary set, because you get 40 models in there. You get enough to make a 20-man pike block, 12 crossbowmen with purvey shields and 12 handgunners. So two boxes of that, and you've got six units. It's um, it's crazy, and and there's there's so much um, interchangeability on that set. Um, so you're quite right, yeah. You can you can get little, little individual sprues and um, say, oh, but I, I really want a guy in European style armor. Oh, look, the command frame's two pound fifty on eBay. <laughs> I'll, I'll grab that, and I've done that quite a few times just to just to get a few extra bits in. And of course, the best place to get your Perry miniatures is obviously at. Uh reaper games go <laughs> yes. to the plastic crack podcast and get the code there yes 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 I'll mention jim, that while we're here yeah yeah jim uh, reaper games who very kindly sponsors us he um he basically is uh, yeah he has his whole business around individual frames and good deals so um yeah yeah if you um if you watch the uh plastic crack podcast 8, 8 p.m on uh on monday nights um then um you can um you can pick up a code in there which will give you 10 percent off the already 20 percent, so you get 30 yeah. percent off rrp basically so i think a box set runs you about 15 quid more like 14 yeah. quid something like you that here, folks. <laughs> um because it I just um once you've got the army you've chosen your army you've bought your models you're sitting down you've chosen who you're gonna who, which force you're gonna go for you've chosen your lord and you've found your livery and your heraldry how do you start how do you i mean do you have, have you got any tips i know you have lots of painting videos and i'd, I'd suggest anyone listeners to go straight away to seventh sun and start looking at those those painting um videos from martin but um 
got any tips while you while you're here? Like I know that there's flags in the Perry's boxes, aren't there as well? Which there, is good. there there are flags in the Perry's boxes, um, which are good, and there's general flags, but obviously they 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 can't fit all of them on. But what's quite cool is they they include European flags as well because there was there was a our war was there was wars all over Europe at this point, and our, no what one other wars. <laughs> yeah, at the time, yeah, I know the the French Burgundian War um, was, was raging. The stuff with the Swiss, the the German states yeah. were getting involved. It, it, it's any so there's loads going on it's just that everyone kind of looked at england and went you know what nah um you know the hundred the hundred years war has ended um the, the causes of the wars are, are sort of rooted in the end of that and then we're we're scuffling amongst ourselves while the rest of europe sort of <laughs> watches on but um to get to get started um the, the contrast paints from games workshop are are helpful for painting up loads and loads of bill i mean obviously you can do amazing paint jobs um with uh you know on these but if you if you're painting a lot of troops they're quite straightforward you know it's a bit of chain mail some livery coats you, you can get them done quite quickly um if you're using those contrast paints and to, to a decent standard as well um i i would just recommend picking out your your bases i base mine on 16 mil by 40 mil bases so i can get five or six guys although i have put up to nine on one base um for because i wanted a particularly dense pipe block um and i would just just get painting on them just pick out say 15 guys um maybe i don't know 10 10 bow and five bill um and just paint just paint them up just pick but don't worry necessarily about putting everybody in delivery jackets i do about half and half so um so i have that mix like people who couldn't either didn't have a livery jacket or um or who've lost it or have gone do you know what i don't want to wear this i'm going to pick up that really nice looking bit of armor that's down there and also something does look good mix in some more armored guys some men at arms for your captains and you know your sergeants yeah. or whatever to be bossing the guys around um so, and just have some fun that's what i've tried to do with my bases i used to do things very uniformly so you have three guys in front and three guys behind and if you look at my bases you can kind of chart in time how because i've been <laughs> I was like, I need to make this base more interesting. So um, I'll have a guy that's um, running with his arrow, his bow in his bag, and he hasn't he hasn't got ready, and he's running to sort of get in the line before. Uh, I've got another one who's um, scolding someone. I managed to get sort of a pointy uh, finger. He's you know, guys getting a dressing down, and this other one just looks really upset. So I've had that sort of going <laughs> on. But, so I just I just say, just do what do what you want, and don't um, don't worry about what about any kind of uniformity i think that's that's the main thing it's another reason why i don't really use points values in my games but i, I just wouldn't worry about it because the sources are are fairly vague you know the numbers for towton are sometimes quoted as high as eighty thousand. the generally accepted term is i think is 60 but realistically it was probably more like 30 or 35 and, and some people even put it as low as like seven thousand. so you know we there, there's a whole you know slew of um possibility there to do what you want so i'll just go with it and if anyone comes back to you and just says oh you're doing it wrong you can just say well where you there <laughs> you yeah. know just do what feels right for you as a I gamer mean, it hasn't got to look like a parade ground you know everyone's just got their freshly laundered dry cleaned uniform it's like no covering in mud and blood and no stuff. that's it well since since everyone has started this um, <laughs> this hashtag i blame martin thing which is i blame weird. martin I've I've had a lot of that. And my my wife says that quite a lot as well. <laughs> and so I've had a lot of people saying, "Oh, you know, I, I need to know that I've come from World War Two or from Napoleonic gaming, or even people who never done historicals and they've just painted up, say, 40k and Space Marines. I, I need yeah. to know uniforms." So you're like, "Well, this guy wore red livery. You know, that was his color. Was his predominant color was red? But that's about it. Just 
do what you want just just go for it i mean obviously don't necessarily paint them in the livery of the enemy but there's there's a you know a, a lot of freedom you could if you just wanted to just paint um paint them all up without livery and uh, just have a command base with a different flag and then you could just swap yeah. the the command base out so you could have someone who's a uh, yorkist then has, so like you're saying if you guys are doing northumberland he's black and red um montagu who was warwick's brother was black and red as well so you could just change the command frame of a different standard and just from yeah. you know just um swap them out when you wanted to if, you know they've got different little symbols but free it depends if you're you know do you really want to paint all that little livery you could just do the general I did, colors i didn't put any livery badges on because they are beyond my ability to paint and uh i also because I, when i built them i built them more to gain with really rather than be something to be super proud of i didn't go down the route mm. of getting the little transfers for, mm. which i know you can get livery badge transfers but they were i said because i hadn't like fully committed to war of the roses sort of like wanted to get a force together dip my toe in the water see what it was like to game because I, I imagine from a gaming point of view it's probably quite a a cool period to game in that you've got evenly matched armies which just poke each other to death pretty much but you're totally right you just, you just get those colors it's absolutely fine if you know my um if you look very closely at my um my livery badges for example my rose of uh york the sun in splendor is just five white blobs with a yellow blob in the middle <laughs> that's that's it um so you can kind of go as detailed i know there are some people out there that do absolutely fantastic work and can paint dragons and, and all sorts freehand i i sort of look at things and go right how can i make this look like this from three foot away what can what shapes do i need to paint that's generally how i sort of work it although i, I did just do when i did um the Marquis of Montague, Warwick's brother, I, I did spend about two hours doing his livery because here they have a, the Warwicks and the, ne the Nevilles, sorry, the Warwicks, the Nevilles all have, because they own so much and they married in so many families, they have horrendously complicated heraldic devices. And I thought, I know what's a good plan. I'm going to try and try and do this. And ah. uh, um, I, mean, I think it, I think it worked. But, um, well, it's good to challenge yourself, isn't it? It's good to push yourself and try. Yeah, I won't do it again for a while. And then repaint it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I lived in fear. I, I kept him away from the paint desk because I lived in fear of like a paint pot getting knocked over on him or, or something like that. Um, but as a period to game, it, yeah, it is very cool. You basically, you obviously have those arrow storms that happen before, uh, before the battle um also before the battle before the uh, the units engage and then you've got these units of um bill I, I think in a lot you know realistically in the battles the bill and the men at arms a lot of that would have been they'd have been mixed really you, you know but as gamers we need to find a way to make it a game um so we, we separate those things out um so usually find what happens is is that the the art the units of the bill and bow in my games they get involved quite quickly um and then the men at arms coming and it's just an out and out slug fest and then what will happen usually is someone will come in with some cavalry and cause some havoc so but then because you got the cool you, you know you've got artillery you've got hand gunners um we've got i've been playing around with dom uh, from boots on the table with some rules for mounted art effectively guys you can dismount with off uh, and become a unit of archers because yeah. they talk about it in the sources but it's not really represented in games anyway i think never mind the bill hooks has some rules for it um but hail caesar didn't so what we've done with the army lists for hail caesar is use the base sets and then sort of expand on those rules and add loads of house rules and then 
I've gone uh, and done, I think I've done 20 separate lords and come up with little, nothing game-breaking, but little flavours. So, for example, Henry Percy, uh, the, 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 his dad, I've come up with that he hates the Nevilles. So if he's ever charging a group of Nevilles, he can re-roll that order to to do it um yeah. we've also got um some of the nastier ones in there you know they've got some they give their units better attacks but at the same time their troops don't necessarily want to do what they say so they they display orders a little bit easier yeah. so it's uh, in, incredibly fun to play because everyone was stabbing everyone in the back everyone's out for themselves and then you know you can see that just historically in in 30 years to, i think it's the crown changes hands seven seven times something like that so it's a great it's a great period to game you're right it's it's just a lot of fun i think that's a really good almost like a really good end point i was thinking that's actually a really good place to end so we'll cut this bit where we're talking now uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was good martin that was fantastic so i'm going to ask right. one last question um yeah. is there anything else that you you would like to talk about that i can ask oh, you about um like, have you got your own rules coming out anytime soon or? Oh, yes. The campaign rules. Yeah. Yeah. You can ask about the campaign rules. If I'll you ask like. that. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. This in its sort of alpha at the moment. So, yeah, that's something that will be coming soon. Eventually. Martin, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, that's fantastic stuff. I'm I'm really excited to go to Salute so I can spend too much money as always. But now I know I'm spending it on. Or the roses stuff. Uh, I'll um, be there, so uh, oh, well, um, I can I, I can I can help you at that stall if you like. Um, is is there anything coming up that you're working on that you want to just let the the listeners know about? Um, yes. So I've been working on a uh, sort of miniature agnostic and system agnostic campaign Ooh. set of rules. Um, something which is wargamers everyone always talks about and i think everyone likes is that everyone always would like to take part in or i did anyway in campaigns where you're moving armies around maps and um i wanted to see if i could write some rules um and also but make it so you could have a set of campaign rules that could then be the battles could be resolved using whatever system you like so it's independent of anything so you could play these campaign rules and then fight your battles with Hail Caesar or never mind the bill hooks or whatever you could use it for black powder or bolt action or something like that so um so I've developed uh, a little set of rules that are a little you know a simple um and um for the wars of the road of using the wars of the roses for it um on the channel there's a video that sort of looks at an overview of them and uh I've uh, even though I don't necessarily gr- agree with his tarnishing of Richard III's reputation I used a quote from Shakespeare <laughs> to uh, <laughs> uh to name them and they're called uh, bloody will be thy end and um it's uh, it's just a, a 12 sort of a 12 page uh set of rules it basically gives you uh the ability to move armies around a map easily it uses uh, a nodal campaign system so you have 12 nodes that mark different regions and mm-hmm. the paths that you can use you pick a certain number of lords who have a, a number of i call them force points um that they can assemble each game but those fluctuate from game to game you mm-hmm. each each year you roll an event so they could become diseased or famines so the amount of people that they could field is better or maybe some of your troops you know disappear to the enemy which is what happened in us um the last wars of the roses battle on on the channel you'll see that we're using it and there's an animated map that you can you can see yeah. so they're in a yeah. they're in basically a an alpha at the moment so after we finished um our current little uh playthrough 
um, going to update those rules and then I'll be doing a release them out sort of like for private play testing and then after that and we've adapted those I'll put them out um, for sort of general play testing and then who knows either I'll make them available um, for free online just for people to have a play with or or who knows maybe we could actually put something together and actually publish them but I've already got ideas for for using the rules for uh, the Battle of Berlin and yeah. uh, moving around different areas and you know from stations and that um but it is good fun and you can you can also you can make it as big as big as you like with you could have 10 lords or you could um you could play a little campaign and just have you know a couple of lords moving around and uh trapping people in cornwall and uh going forward and which seems to be what's happening in ours at the sounds amazing sounds amazing i look forward to playing those i look forward to um destroying tom in the war of the roses using the campaign <laughs> system <laughs> So um, thanks again for joining us um, today, Martin. Um, they can find you with Seventh Son on YouTube. And of course, every Monday, um, Suffering on Plastic Crab Crack Podcast, every Monday, go and find yep. you there. Uh, but thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please, if you're not a member, join the Facebook group, Hobby Support Group. If you listen to us on Spotify, subscribe or drop us a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you and talk to you soon. Or as um, 